0: This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions.
1: Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast and snoring. Kieran Walters, is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Snoring is common. In the 30 to 35-year-old age group, of men and 5% of women snore. By 60, 60% of men and 40% of women will snore habitually. And snoring can affect quality of life of both the patient and their partner. So what, if anything, can we do about it? To answer this and other important questions, we have on the line, Dr. Shokat Mirza, consultant in ENT and head and neck surgery at Sheffield Teaching Hospitals NHS Trust. And importantly, Shokat is author of our BMJ best practice topic on this condition. So Shokat, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking, what exactly is this
0: condition? So Kieran, snoring is noisy breathing during sleep due to partial upper airway obstruction. And uh, like you mentioned, it can be a significant problem for the patient and others. When presented with a patient who snores, the clinician needs to answer some questions. So firstly, what is the diagnosis? Um, And this can range from simple snoring with no sleep disturbance to severe obstructive sleep apnea uh, with a high number of airway obstructions leading to dips in oxygen levels and quite disturbed sleep. Um, moderate to severe obstructive sleep apnea is associated with an increased risk of cardiovascular deaths uh, from stroke and heart attack and also road traffic accidents, and therefore it needs to be ruled out. And then after the diagnosis, the next question the physician needs to ask is, why why is the patient snoring? For example, are they overweight? Do they have big tonsils? Um, So what is causing them to snore? And then what can we do about it? How do we manage them?
1: Okay, great. Thank you. So that's kind of a quick overview. And first of all, I guess, in making the diagnosis, you're essentially ruling out uh, obstructive sleep apnea and and other such diagnosis. How do you actually do that? <laughs>
0: So, to make the diagnosis, um, we rely on the history, examination, uh, possibly questionnaires, and investigations. And the sleep study investigation is the standard test for ruling out sleep apnea. Um, In terms of the history, we look for indicators of sleep apnea. So, having the partner available for the history can be helpful. Um, And then we need to ask, does the patient struggle to breathe or choke uh, overnight uh, with stopping of breathing for 10 seconds? Do they have symptoms? suggesting sleep apnea such as do they wake up with headaches sleep during the day have concentration issues and all of these suggest possible osa Uh, and then we can also ask them do they suffer from nasal obstruction which can contribute to snoring Um, if seeing a relatively young patient with high blood pressure it's worth considering sleep apnea and it's worth asking about smoking alcohol intake and medications as these can be implicated in snoring as well so that's. A brief overview of the history, and then in in the examination, we can look for contributing anatomy um, and possible sites of snoring. Aspects in the examination may include the body mass index. Is the patient overweight, obese? Uh, Facial anatomy, such as retronathia. So this is where the lower jaw is set back, uh, which is best appreciated with a side view of the head. And this can lead to the tongue being pushed further back and greater narrowing at this level. Uh, The nose can be examined for signs of obstruction, for example, a deviated septum. Uh, And then the tongue can be sized as well as the tonsils. Uh, The uvula, if this is wrinkled, the so-called telescopic uvula, this indicates that this is probably a site or one of the sites of snoring. And we also examine the neck. And in ENT, we usually perform a flexible endoscopy uh, to look at any cause of nasal or upper airway obstruction. And with the endoscopy, we can also do maneuvers to try to identify at what level the snoring is occurring. So we can do something called Muller's Maneuver where the patient lies on their back and they're asked to take a quick breath in through the nose and then while they're breathing in through the nose the physician pinches the nose shut but the patient has been told to keep trying to breathe in through the nose thereby creating a negative upper airway pressure and we look for sites of collapse for example the tongue base Uh, so those are a few things we can look for in the examination and then Possible questionnaires that can help, are, for example, the Epworth sleepiness score, which gives an idea of how sleepy the patient is during the day. And if they have a particularly high score, this can be used as a screening test for requesting a sleep study. And there is also now a stop bang questioner, which looks at uh, the risk of having obstructive sleep apnea. And this asks a number of questions such as do they have loud snoring, tiredness, um, findings such as the body mass index being high. And this can also be used as a tool for identifying possible obstructive sleep apnea. And then the investigations, yeah, the key investigation is a sleep study. And, and ideally, all snorers would have a sleep study to rule out obstructive sleep apnea. But due to the large numbers, we tend to test those with severe symptoms. Okay,
1: great. And tell us about the sleep study investigation. What does that involve? How is it? Don, is that something a patient
0: has at home or? So uh, there are a number of different types of sleep study. Um, There's a simple screening pulse oximeter um, that looks at the oxygen dips overnight. Um, And usually patients are given the equipment to take home with and and they can do these tests overnight in their own homes. Um, And then the gold standard for diagnosis in sleep disordered breathing is the full polysomnogram. So that looks at a number of factors, such as the oxygen level, uh, brain electrical activity, the EEG, uh, heart activity, ECG, airflow, microphone, um, etc. And this is the gold standard in diagnosing obstructive sleep apnea, upper airway resistance syndrome, and simple snoring. So um, upper airway uh, resistance syndrome is where the patient comes out of deep sleep to overcome some airway obstruction. Uh, but they don't stop breathing or wake up during their sleep, but they don't get the deep, restful sleep, uh, and therefore they can be quite tired during the day. The full polysomnogram tends to be done in sleep laboratories in a hospital setting.
1: Yeah. Okay, got it. And I wonder, you mentioned pulse oximetry and oxygen level dips. What What level would
0: concern you? So for the sleep studies, uh, an oxygen dip of 4% tends to indicate um, an apnea. Okay, okay. You can, of course, get greater dips, and and the greater dips would be more concerning and suggest more uh, severe uh, sleep disordered breathing or sleep apnea.
1: Okay, thank you. And also, in terms of investigation, some people talk about the the nasal decongestant test. Is that
0: something that's still done? It can be trialed. Yeah, it can be trialed. Um, Some patients are overt about having nasal obstruction overnight, whereas others are not sure, or we wonder, could uh, the nose be implicated in their snoring? So um, a test can be Performed where the patient for a few nights can take a nasal decongestant such as otravine before bedtime. So, this will hopefully optimize the nasal airway. And then, if this makes a difference to their snoring, if this improves their snoring, then this would suggest that nasal congestion is implicated in their snoring. Also,
1: on the subject of diagnosis and differential diagnosis, how much you tell snoring from Strider, say?
0: So stridor is a specific noise on inspiration, um, and that suggests um, significant upper airway obstruction. And stridor would be present during sleep and when awake, whereas noisy breathing during just sleep would suggest snoring, um, and that tends to be noisy on inspiration and expiration.
1: Yeah. Okay. Got it. Thank you. And last question about diagnosis. What would you say are the common pitfalls that you've seen in your experience, common pitfalls in diagnosis of of snoring or or diagnosis of the other
0: potential differentials? Right. So I I think the main issue um, is not making the diagnosis. So that is missing patients with obstructive sleep apnea or significant sleep disordered breathing. And this may maybe due to a number of things. Uh, for example, patients not coming forward to see their GP, uh, doctors not considering obstructive sleep apnea. Um, we tend to be selective about who gets a sleep study due to limited resources. And this may miss cases of uh, sleep apnea. Um, and pulse oximetry is not as sensitive as a full polysomnogram. So again, um, simpler, sleep studies may miss cases of obstructive sleep apnea
1: and and lastly actually one last one on diagnosis people talk about sleepiness during the day which like lots of people get sleepy during the day what would be kind of a red flag for you in terms of sleepiness during the day
0: um so the degree of sleepiness during the day um And probably the best way to assess this is the Edwards sleepiness score. So this asks um, how sleepy patients would be in certain situations, um, such as, for example, sitting down reading or being a passenger in the car. And the score is out of 24. And, and, And a score of 10 out of 24 or 10 or more out of 24 would suggest significant daytime sleepiness. And that may be a trigger for a sleep study. Uh, and also as well as being sleepy during the day is there a history of snoring um, with possible apneas or choking overnight um, and data other daytime symptoms such as you know uh, their concentration being affected uh, waking up with headaches so these are all, all these sort of factors and symptoms um, make one wonder could the patient have uh, a significant sleep disordered breathing or obstructive sleep apnea
1: Got it. Great. Thank you. Let's move on to to management. What's the
0: mainstay of management of snoring? So the basic measures are weight loss, uh, stop smoking, alcohol avoidance. Uh, Most patients tend to be worse on their back. So a simple measure such as wearing a squash ball in the pocket of a breast-pocketed t-shirt worn the wrong way around uh, may keep them off their back without disturbing their sleep too much, um, and there are also devices now, uh, electric devices to help patients keep off their back. If nasal obstruction is significant, um, then steroid nasal sprays may be tried, um, or devices such as vent, which are nasal dilators. Patients can try a mandibular advancement splint, so this is like a dental guard that moves the lower jaw forward and with that moves the tongue forward. Um, And they can try a simple one uh, obtained over the internet, a do-it-yourself mandibular advancement splint. And if they tolerate it and find it beneficial, they can get a more expensive fitted advancement splint through their dentist. Patients with sleep apnea tend to be tried on CPAP. That's the gold standard treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. Uh, And CPAP stands for continuous positive airway pressure, which is a, a breathing mask that blows air into the upper airway and keeps the airway open and patent and stops apneas. Um, But uh, they can be difficult to tolerate. So those are the main non-surgical options. In terms of surgical options, um, in children with snoring and apneas, um, an adenotonsillectomy is highly effective. And that's a very common procedure. Um, In adults, There are a number of surgical options. So if the tonsils are very large, a simple tonsillectomy may help. Um, A uvulopalatopharyngoplasty, uh, commonly called UPPP, uh, involves removing the tonsils, the uvula, and suturing the tonsillar pillars. Uh, And that can be highly effective, particularly if the tonsils are large and the tongue is relatively small. Other options are radiofrequency treatment to the palate and tongue base, which involves inserting a fine probe and delivering radiofrequency energy to shrink and scar and stiffen the soft tissues of the palate and tongue. Um, And there are a variety of other techniques, such as lasering to the soft palate, palate implants. Um, The more invasive procedures, such as um, tongue reductions and maxillomandibular advancements, to open up the airway um, tend to be performed in patients with severe obstructive sleep apnea. And the ultimate operation is, a, in fact, a tracheostomy which bypasses all of the collapsible upper airway and can be highly effective but is a drastic last measure in a select number of patients.
1: Okay, great, thank you. So to go through some of these in, in more detail, I guess, the issue with lifestyle measures like getting people, suggesting people that they lose weight, stop smoking, cut down on alcohol, is that whether they actually comply, whether they can do or, uh, and how effective are these in actual practice or do you find people come back to you a few months later and say it didn't work or
0: I didn't manage to do those things? Uh, stopping smoking and avoiding alcohol can help to a degree, but the patients we tend to see in ENT tend to be probably at the worst end of the spectrum. Um, so probably they're not effectively, excuse me, cured by these measures. Um, weight loss can be the key. So if a patient is quite obese with a high BMI weight loss, can be curative not always but it can be Um, so that's really important diet exercise Um, these days there are quite a few measures to help patients lose weight so definitely patients seeing their gp for advice and um, management of their weight loss can be key okay okay
1: great and another thing you mentioned was intranasal steroids um And if you were to start on that, uh, how how long would you need to continue it for to give it a good kind of trial, if you like?
0: Yeah, the steroid nasal sprays, they don't work um, that quickly. So that's why sometimes it's worth trying the Otravine test for a couple of nights. And that will give you an idea of the potential benefits with steroid sprays. But they can take a few weeks. Before the benefits are noticed. So I would at least try a steroid nasal spray for two to four weeks before giving up on them. Um, And then um, it's probably patient preference. They might find that it helps their nasal airway, their breathing during their daytime as well, and and their snoring. So they can take these steroid nasal sprays long term or indefinitely if they're beneficial. Um, But most patients I find take uh, one or two sprays. And then if that gives them the improvement thereafter they could take a break from the sprays um, but um, resume the sprays if their congestion or snoring recurs so they'd often take it intermittently
1: yeah okay i've also read about nasal dilators um how, how do they work and are they is there much evidence
0: that they do work so there are a number of devices um and um applications for example the nose vent i mentioned earlier that is a nasal dilator so it's a bit like a prong that inserts into each nostril and then moves the nostril to the side effectively opening up the nostrils and that can help some patients and you can also get these adhesives on the outside of the nose that lift up the soft tissue of the of, of the um the nose, the lower part of the nose. Again, these can sometimes help increase the space inside the nasal cavities and help with the nasal airway, which in turn can help with snoring. But they tend to be of limited benefit in most cases, I find.
1: Okay, thank you. And you also mentioned mandibular advancement splint. Um, Tell us about that and tell us about the types of patients where you might
0: uh, recommend that so um, these are light like mouth guards um, and the patient effectively sleeps with them throughout the night um, so they can be somewhat difficult to tolerate but some patients uh, like them because they're relatively simple um, and it avoids surgery and they find them quite effective. So um, there are a number of ways of obtaining a mandibular advancement splint. Um, One is um, uh, through shops or over the internet. And these are sort of thermoplastic splints that you can do yourself. And the idea is they sleep with this device overnight and it brings the lower jaw forward. And with that, it brings the tongue forward and makes more space behind the tongue. And hopefully more space means less snoring. Long-term, though, simple splints can put some strain on the jaw joint um, and dental problems. So we tend to recommend a well-fitted mandibular advancement splint if the patient would like to continue with this device. Um, and that minimizes um, side effects and complications from using a splint long-term. And to obtain a well-fitted mandibular advancement splint, that usually means going to see a dentist or a maxillofacial surgeon.
1: What about pitfalls in management? What are the common
0: mistakes you've you, you've seen? Sleep disordered breathing is quite complicated, and snoring is not easily cured in many case, cases. So, many, many patients, for example, won't tolerate a mandibular advancement splint. Uh, they won't tolerate continuous positive airway pressure masks and they may not have a simple surgical target. Um, surgery is also quite invasive and may not make a significant difference to a patient's snoring or only a temporary difference to their snoring. So I think probably that that is probably the main issue with patients with snoring is um, giving them an effective cure can be quite difficult. Okay.
1: Okay. and And... Absolutely. Final question is, uh, what have we missed in the things we've talked about so far? Any other questions that people ask you about snoring?
0: Trying to identify the level of snoring could be an issue. And and people have tried various measures, such as sleep nasendoscopy. So the patient is given a general anesthetic and examined with a nasendoscope to try and find out, is it the palate that's causing the snoring? Is it the tongue base? and air pressure manometry probes have been developed to try and answer this question, uh, where is the level of the snoring? Over time, the CPAP machines have become better, easier to tolerate, um, the pressures vary, and they're less noisy, which can be a problem overnight. Um, and I think more surgeons now are offering um, snoring surgery and sleep apnea surgery. I do get some patients asking about exercises. And um, I've had certain patients who have had singing lessons uh, that have helped them. And the idea is the pharyngeal muscle tone improves with singing lesson or playing a musical instrument, for example. Um, And that can help make the the throat tissues less floppy and help with their snoring. And I've had some quite impressive results even with patients with uh, sleep apnea. Okay. Thank you very much, Showcat.
1: And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again.